Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and this week's podcast is entirely by request from one of our readers who, like me and a lot of other parents and grandparents out there, are answering the call to raise more self-reliant children who can face any danger with practical skills when no one else is around. Now we cover a lot of really great tips that you'll be able to put to use with any child in your life who you'd like to be better prepared for any crisis, and you're going to discover ways to make it fun at the same time. Let's go ahead and get started, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging. Would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, you know how to survive. If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Now, not long ago, I was talking with a friend of mine about the challenges of parenthood and, and raising our middle son through the early teen years. And my friend put things in perspective for me and, and said of her own son, I've learned that my real job is just to keep him alive until he's out on his own. And and I really thought about that. And I realized that, you know, I can model the right character and integrity I want my children to develop. But ultimately, it really is hard enough and, and mentally challenging just to keep them safe from harm. Now, of course, we as parents are well aware of our responsibility in, in raising our children to become fine, upstanding community members. I mean, we naturally want them to be happy, successful, and self-reliant. We train them in how to be resourceful and make good judgments when it comes to things like relationships and finances and, and even being part of the family team. But have you ever thought about your responsibility to teach them the skills that they need just to survive? I mean, how many stories are in the news of children wandering away or, or getting lost while on a camping or a hiking trip or separated by a storm or even abducted by a stranger? The truth is we may not always be there to protect them. And there are any number of scenarios that your child or your grandchild may find him or herself in and forced to call upon their skills to survive on their own. And providing them with these skills is exactly what we're here to talk about today. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson from Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And joining us today is someone who is not only an elite survival trainer, but as a high school history teacher, which I would say is probably like a survival mission all by itself, has learned how to develop children of all levels with the skills that they need to survive many of life's challenges. Please welcome Kevin Estella to our program. Kevin, thanks for taking some time for us today, man. Jeff, thanks for having me on on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No, that's going to be awesome. I, um, these are these are these are questions pulled straight from my own parenting fears. So I have a lot of stuff for you here. This is cool. Now, if everybody, if you haven't seen Kevin's work at all, he's the owner and head instructor of Estella Wilderness Education and a regular contributing author for various websites and magazines. Now, he's also a guest speaker at various sportsman shows, speaking engagements, and webinars where he teaches bushcraft and survival skills, and he's even been featured on the History Channel as an on-air survival expert. Now, in addition to Kevin's survival training and teaching, he's an accomplished martial artist with ranks in applied self-defense, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's an instructor in Sayak Kali Filipino martial arts. And just to back things up, Kevin has trained with some of the best tactical firearms instructors on the planet. Now, you can find out more about Kevin and his training on his website at www 
www.kevinestella.com, and that's E-S-T-E-L-A. Now, now, Kevin, I want to start with what I think may be what I consider maybe to be the biggest challenge with preparing children for survival scenarios, and that's the, the mental shift that it takes to even consider these types of events. I mean, when you think about it, even for adults, developing the kind of like survival mindset to deal with a crisis can be really challenging. Most people, I think, are just kind of spending their time in la-la land, and they're not really preparing for, you know, emergency situations. Now, when you start talking about natural disasters, home invasion, civil unrest, abduction, things like that, these are topics that would typically frighten many children. So how does someone approach getting their child into that survival mindset without filling them with fear over things that they can't control? Well, Jeff, one of the interesting things about children is that they understand the world from a very limited, uh, they have a very limited understanding of the world, I should say. Uh, you know, if you were to ask a child, what is high school like? You know, they would simply tell you it's a place where there's big kids. But as adults, we know high school is filled with freshman year, sophomore year, junior year. There's that crazy, you know, kid that you're going to have in the back of the class. We have all these different experiences that kids just can't grasp because they do have a limited understanding of, of, of the world. So it's very easy to bring a child into the survival mindset because they're, I, I won't say you're keeping them ignorant, but you're not, you're not telling them everything that could potentially harm them. Uh, what you can do is you can give them a scenario. You can say, well, we're going to play, we're going to play a game. You know, and if you frame things around that idea of a game, then a child is going to be more receptive to, you know, doing as you say. The minute that you say it's training or you say it's work, they're going to assume that that's something that an adult is supposed to do and they're not going to want to buy into it. So what you can simply do is, you know, if there is a home invasion, okay, you're going to be, uh, you give them a role. You're going to be like that cop. You're going to go run till the good guys. Or, you know, if you're out in the woods, okay, you're going to be like Indiana Jones. You're going to do this. You know, you frame it around a concept that they can understand, which is usually some type of character that they've seen on television or they've seen in a movie or, you know, something or someone that they know, like, oh, Uncle Jeff, who's the police officer. You're going to be just like Uncle Jeff. Uh, what you want to do is you want to work with what you have in front of you. And generally, that's a child who, again, won't have a firm understanding of the world. And, you know, that kind of works in your benefit in terms of developing their, their mindset. Make it a game. Make it fun. And they're going to be much more receptive to, to learning from you. Yeah, I, I guess like a lot of role playing comes into into that as well. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, I, I'm going to have a lot more questions, I think, for that, because I think that's like basically doing that translation is I think it's hard on every level, you know, right? whether you're talking about like, you know, drugs or sex or anything like that. So so I'm going to be really curious. I'm going to ask you some more questions about that. Let me ask you this, though, because I think that when a lot of people when they um I think there's like two different camps that people fall into when they when they think about the dangers that a child might might be facing. And for those of us that are that are very active outdoors or live in a rural area or, you know, my my son is very active in scouts, as an example. And on one of the trips that they were just at, um, one of the scouts was uh, there was actually a, a kid that died. It wasn't in our troop. It was in another troop. But, you know, anything can happen to kids, especially in the. I guess what we consider maybe the dangers of the wild, there's certainly dangers everywhere you go, but, but the wilderness is one of those areas where I think that, that we naturally assume kids can be kind of on their own and have to survive. And, and that's pretty scary itself, but, but I think all in all, it's pretty mild material to teach a child, like, cause you're looking at things like building a fort or if they're older, like how to, how to make a fire or something like that. And, and the and the being in the outdoors if it's not 
if it's not foreign to them, it's not really scary. So I think it's probably the easiest like training environment I think to have. So what would you say though are maybe the best skills to teach a child for surviving a scenario where they may be separated from a group or find themselves alone in the woods? Well, it, it's really interesting to, to think about it this way. I mean, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of television and, and novels that are out there that paint the child as this this epic, dramatic hero who can, you know, find the grandfather's pocket knife uh, and, you know, whittle a <laughs> whittle a bow and arrow set or, you know, to hollow out a canoe. And, you know, granted, a child should learn how to use the tools that you carry, but we have to be very realistic with what we expect them to do. So in terms of the best skills that they can learn is obviously signaling for help, it, recognizing that they're uh, that they're lost. If you think about it, how far the average person's voice can be heard, you know, over a distance, how far a whistle can be heard, the sooner a child can use that tool, that ability to signal, the more likely that group that they're now separated from uh, will be able to hear them, assuming that they're still traveling in a straight line through the woods. So it's really important that a child learns, make noise as soon as possible the minute that you get lost, because you don't want that child to wait, fear, oh, well, I shouldn't use this because it's only an emergency. And by the time that they actually get that whistle or they get that, that siren that you, they can carry or whatever it may be, it's already too late for it to be heard from the party that they got separated from. Uh, the child can also learn to become very observant. I would teach them, obviously, how to uh, recognize where they are, uh, you know, in terms of like the last known point that they traveled to. Uh, I would teach them to, you know, look and stay put for, or I'm sorry, look and, uh, you know, be, uh, look for like different resources where they could stay put uh, for a night and also just teach them it is okay to spend a night, you know, to just frame it uh, around this idea that you're just spending a night in the woods, you know, mommy and daddy or uncle is not going to be upset that you're spending the night. So just teach them it is okay to just be calm, be relaxed, let them know there's nothing out there in the woods that's going to that's gonna hurt them if they do everything correctly and, you know, show them these skills. Uh, so again, I would teach them the last known point, you know, how to identify what that is. I would teach them to make a signal as quickly as possible to get that into action. And then also, um, you know, the other thing is just how to spend a night comfortably. Well, what about, um, yeah, I, I think that that first one is a major hurdle because a lot of kids just start wandering. They try to find their way back and they end up getting more lost. I know that, you know, speaking with rescue rescue workers and, and people who do search and rescue, that, that staying put is is really critical because typically by the time they realize they're lost, they're really not that far away. But if they keep on walking and wandering around, that's what really makes it difficult to be able to find somebody. So I think, you know, that's that's an important point. What about that signal that you were talking about? I mean, um, you know, like for them to, you know, like to build a signal, like what you said, what are some ways that that they might put something up? I mean, I know, like my town, for example, we um, we just went through the worst flood in like in Texas history, and and we had people that were missing, and so we had helicopters like all over the place for a long period of time. And I'm assuming, like you know, if you can get word back to a ranger station or something like that, that they might send send out people. But then again, you know, it, it's, even if you're from an air, looking down from an airplane, like I know from flying helicopters, it, it just it kind of like it, be, it all looks the same after a while, and it's hard to really spot something out there. So, what kind of a signal could a child fashion or create, or something like that, where they would most visibly, you know, be most visible for people that are looking for them? Well, 
As, as far as signaling, it all depends uh, where you are regionally. I mean, here in the Northeast, uh, the majority of the search and rescue teams that are going to go out are going to, you know, strike out on, on foot first. You know, they're going to do a ground patrol first. And then, let's say, worst case scenario, they can't find something by ground and the search, you know, gets wide, and then they might call in state police helicopters or, or whatever. So if it's, a, if it's a ground crew that's coming for you, I mean, you have to recognize that and you have to give your child uh, the knowledge of how to build sound devices. You know, with just a pair of scissors that they might have in their backpack, say it's like a school backpack, they'd be able to take an aluminum can and fashion an aluminum can whistle. You know, I mean, that's a, a trick that goes back to like the 30s from Popular Mechanics, how to turn a piece of tin into a whistle that won't be anywhere near as loud as, say, like a Fox 40 or a Thunderer or, you know, a jet scream whistle. But, you know, something that's still pretty, pretty loud and considerable, much, uh, that has much more range than, say, like the human voice. Um, the other thing that they can do is they can simply, you know, carry surveyor's tape with them. You know, and I'm big on preparations. I'm big on having kids carry these things ahead of time rather than have to fashion them. But, you know, even if they don't have the surveyor's tape to, you know, create large lines of, uh, you know, for people to see uh, patterns that stand out from nature that happen to be symmetrical or, you know, or equally spaced apart, something that's going to really stand out, uh, then that's where you could teach them how to contrast white smoke against, uh, you know, a green background or black smoke against a snowy background. And that's the decision of the parent to decide whether or not the child is, is mature enough to learn how to build a fire. And, you know, a child should learn how to do that. Uh, but ultimately, that's the decision for the parent to make. I'm not going to, you know, say that they have to. But I would just simply say if that were my kid, they would definitely know how to make a fire because, it's it, you can signal for for help at night with a bright fire and during the daytime you can turn it smoky. Yeah, and even just being able to you know keep yourself warm and at night and stuff like that. You're right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah there's, I think kids count. can learn that. You know, I think kids can learn that responsibly. Probably much younger than what maybe a lot of people think. But yeah, and, and that's actually a really cool point that you, that you brought that up. I mean, you look at a lot of these indigenous tribes around the world. I mean, my dad grew up in the Philippines, and he tells me he's like, when you're young, you walk around the fields with you know, machete, you walk around with an air rifle or a 22 and you're building fires and you're catching food that you eat. You know, you, if a child were to walk around, you know, a field today in some of these, you know, cities that we live in, you know, they, they'd be arrested for, you know, possibly having an arsenal because they happen to have, say, 50 rounds of ammunition in their, their backpack. You know, I mean, it's we don't give kids enough credit. We don't give them enough responsibility early on. Um, and I think it's because of we, the society that we live in. I think we have to give those kids that responsibility, teach them shown the proper way to, to respect the tools that they use. And, you know, we'd be amazed at what they're they're capable of doing, you know, yeah. when they're allowed to just be kids, you know, that, yeah. that have that responsibility. Yeah, well said. All right. Oh, well, we've been talking with Kevin Estella of KevinEstella.com about his personal strategies for raising self-reliant, resourceful children able to survive in any environment. And we have a lot more coming up, including real-world survival tactics to defeat an abduction, safe and effective survival gear that your child can carry for emergencies and simple training exercises you can do with your child to make becoming safe and self-reliant actually fun. But first, check out the special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos. 
or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug-out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Kevin Estella of KevinEstella.com, talking about how to prepare your child or grandchild to survive any crisis they may face with calm, confident skill. Let's go ahead and jump right back in our interview now. Now, uh, Kevin, frankly, as a parent myself, my biggest fear was always an abduction. And and it may not be as common as like maybe we let our imaginations kind of run away with it being. But nonetheless, we have to be prepared for this kind of a worst case scenario, I think. So obviously, a, a smaller child can't defend themselves from a larger stranger. And, you know, it kind of kind of really ticks me off sometimes, like when you go to like martial arts. And I know you're a martial artist, too, but sometimes when we say, we're going to show your eight-year-old how to, you know, beat the hell out of a 350-pound biker dude. You know, it's it's just not going to happen. But besides awareness, there has to be, like, some tactics that kids can learn for personal protection. So what are some things that we can safely teach our kids that would give them the tools to protect themselves? Well, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head there. I mean, a lot of the the early martial arts that little kids are going to be getting into, a lot of it is meant for discipline, teaching the kid how to uh, exercise restraint. So, you know, as parents, uh, as guardians, we have to recognize that if a child is going to be in that program, it's going to be to teach them self-discipline, respect, and so forth. Uh, aside from the awareness techniques, which should be taught, you know, ongoing, it should be almost a, a daily basis of letting children recognize, okay, this is what a stranger is, uh, and this is what someone could do to potentially, you know, get one over on you. Um, we can't forget that kids, uh, they they have incredible energy. They can run. Um, I'm big on on teaching you know people to run to to know your limits, how far you can run, where you can run to, and that's the other thing, not just running blindly. So obviously to to run when necessary. Um, I remember as a child going with my father to different stores. He's like, if there's something bad that happens, you're gonna do you know this, and it was often you know try to get back to the car, try to try to get somewhere where you can make noise, pull a fire alarm, you know, create as much. Dis- as much noise as possible. Um, so again, the awareness, teaching kids, if there if there's someone that's following you, you know, make a make as much uh, noise as possible. So you or even just freak out. I mean, exactly. any, anybody that's ever seen a kid just have a total temper tantrum, like it draws attention from all over the place, right? Absolutely, <laughs> right, right. And you know, the other thing too is, and, and parents are afraid to to get children to to understand this because they're worried that they're going to use it on a friend, but you know, I, you know, in teaching Filipino martial arts, 
we're a weapons-based system. We have kids around at all of our training seminars. They're part of the organization. We call them part of our tribe. We want them to know that weapons aren't dangerous, you know, when you're part of the tribe. But, you know, keep in mind, in tribal cultures, little kids used to projectile from the outside of a battlefield. They'd be there with the weakest members of the tribe, throwing things at the people that they that were attacking their villages. You know, and keep in mind, too, that the, the strongest were on the front lines. So little kids, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but if a little kid were throwing something at me, I'd still move my head. I wouldn't just willingly take one on the chin. So, you know, kids can learn that they can throw objects, that they can pick something up and hit someone with it. I mean, it doesn't take that much force to break skin. You know, and if you if you teach a child, okay, these are the sensitive points on the body, and we get away from teaching them very complicated techniques that have multiple, uh, multiple uh, maneuvers in a single technique, stick to the basics and you say, look, you only use this if, uh, then they'll be much more better prepared than a child who's led to believe, you know, with a false sense of security that, you know, a simple reverse punch to the stomach is going to stop that 350-pound man. Yeah. Well, here, here's, um, I think this is a real challenge because, you know, I think with, even with all the stranger danger things out there, I don't know if you've ever seen these videos on YouTube, but there's, um, there's a person that went around, a, there's this guy that went around to playgrounds and he would sit down, the kids would be playing out there and he would go sit down next to the mother and he would say, you know, uh, does your child, you know, know not to talk to strangers and, you know, have you taught them about, oh yeah, well, do you think that if he were ever actually, you know, had the opportunity that he would, he would talk to a stranger or go away with a stranger and the mother would be like, well, no, he wouldn't do that. And it's like, well, do you mind if I test? So he'd get the mom's permission and then he would go over like with a little puppy over to the kids on the playground and he would say, oh, do you like my puppy? And the kid, oh yeah, he's a nice puppy. And he's like, wow, this, I mean, do you want to see my other puppies? And the kid would say, yeah. And he would just take the the guy's hand and start walking off the playground. And him, there's lots of these little clips of him, of all these kids who their parents have told them time and time again, look, don't talk to strangers. You never want to go off. These kids were marshmallows. And, right, right. and so how do you, like, like, again, I, I think everybody out there listening to this has probably had that talk with their kids of, like, don't talk to strangers. But, you know, it's when there's a puppy or there's candy, that right. that kid's mentality might just totally get short, short-circuited. short and, and I have to imagine that predators know this better than some YouTube guy does. So, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, so yeah. do you have any advice from there? I mean, like, okay, there's the talk, but then there's like, how do you really get across to them that that, that could be a danger? Well, you know, I'm going to preface my this answer by saying I don't work for this guy. I highly respect his work, and I'm going to say that I think every parent needs to read his books, and I think every girl and guy that goes off to college needs to read it. But Gavin DeBecker, uh, who wrote The Gift of Fear, which is the book for, again, young adults, women, people that are, uh, you know, want to learn how to tap into their instincts and follow their gut reaction and women's intuition, that's the book. Uh, as far as protecting children, his follow-up book, Protecting the Gift, that is the book that, I mean, as you're describing that scenario of the guy on the playground, it just resonates because that's like a, like a candy man type of, uh, predator, someone who's going to offer a treat, who's going to offer some type of reward. And here's the thing. It's not just little kids. If you get a very attractive woman, she could be part of a team that's trying to, to, you know, work one over on someone, you know, because let's face it, you know, if you're, you know, a guy, you're, you're driven by your emotions, your hormones. And if there's an attractive woman, you're going to be a sucker for a pretty face. But as far as like the kids, 
yeah, there, there's always a stranger that offers the gift. There's a stranger that's going to pretend to be an authority uh, figure. There's a stranger that's going to know one detail about the, about the parent and use that to lure a child. There's all these different formulas that predators know. And keep in mind, you know, they talk about it when they go to jail and they get to interact with one another. They get to read about it online. They get to, unfortunately, read these books on how to prevent predators, and then they come up with counters to the counters. So what a parent needs to do is they need to recognize the various different predator types and introduce those to children. Show them this is how, you know, this type of predator will try to get your attention. This is how one will try to distract you from your friend. Once you have that awareness of what the threat is, then you can start preparing the child with what they need. Yeah. Yeah, scary stuff. <laughs> Definitely scary stuff. You know, the survival survivalists out there, and I'm one of them, we, we love our gadgets and, our, and all the gizmos, and, and we talk about everything from our bug-out bags to our, to our everyday carry tools. You've already said, you know, like that you're big into gear as well, even when it comes to children. So what would you say is some good gear advice that you have for, for things that children can carry for their own safety and survival? Well, what I would recommend is I would, I would obviously apply the rule of threes the same way that you would create your, your bug out bag. So you want to make sure that the child has the medication that they can legally carry to keep them, uh, to keep them alive. So preventing, uh, unoxygenated blood from, from passing through them. You want to make sure that they, they have all the meds to, to stay breathing. So meds would be the first one. Every, every child, if they have meds, obviously it should be kept at the school with the nurse, but they should, you know, think about what can a child carry uh, that they could administer themselves. The next thing would be shelter. You know, give them an emergency poncho, a cheap 99-cent poncho, and an emergency blanket, something that they could keep on their in their backpack. It's not going to break any school rules or anything like that. Um, after that, I would look at, you know, whether or not the child, uh, you know, what you could do to keep them uh, sane. You know, I would give them hand warmers because obviously hand warmers are going to psychologically keep them from feeling like they're cold. They can tuck them under their armpits. They can put them on their kidneys, uh, the groin area up by their neck, and it can keep them warm. Uh, again, legal to carry. Signaling devices are also also legal, uh, whether it's a signal mirror, signaling tape, uh, whistles. It gets more tricky once you start getting into the other needs, and it might be a secret that a parent keeps to their child, look, I'm going to tuck matches behind this little fold in your backpack or whatever. But personally, I know that I carried matches with me or some fire starter with me since the sixth grade, <laughs> you know, and I'm sure my, my teachers, you know, sorry, Mrs. Carucci probably doesn't want to hear that right now, but I had matches with me and that was all throughout, you know, junior high and, you know, throughout high school and even into college and grad school. So, you know, there's plenty of items that a, a child should carry. Uh, one of the other big ones that I'm just remembering now is a flashlight. Because we don't want to simply assume that a child is going to be in an emergency during the daytime. You know, more than likely it could be at night or it could extend into the night or they could be somewhere where they're in a dark room, the lights go out, and you want to give them that psychological uh, reassuring that they can see in the dark if they need to. Um, so those are just some of the items. I mean, obviously the other ones that you can tuck in there are some first aid items. Uh, you can tuck in some, you know, duct tape. And, you know, kids love gadgets themselves. So you know, you might want to reward them for, hey, where's your kit? And if they can produce it in 30 seconds or if they can produce it from what they have in their pockets, you know, let them know, uh, you know, in terms of that mindset development we were talking about earlier, let them know, hey, that's great that you're prepared, you know, and you might want to take them off for ice cream if they've got something that you don't, you know. So uh, that that's just part of it, just having yeah. the gear on you. 
And what about, um, like, when is it appropriate to, I mean, obviously, you, you would, you know, kids are going to get in trouble if they take a knife to school, but when is it appropriate to start teaching them about, about knives? Because, I mean, that's one of our primary everyday carry tools. And, and, you know, so at what age is it appropriate to start introducing them to that? Uh, again, you know, being, being Filipino, I'm somewhat biased because we're, we're a very knife culture. We're a bladed culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but the thing is, my father had me using knives when I was really, really young. And he was right over my shoulder. He showed me, okay, this is, you know, the correct way to cut so you don't cut into your leg. This is the correct way to cut where you don't cut into a friend. You know, he, he, he was right there with me. As far as age, I would say it's more a matter of maturity and uh, physical ability than age. You know, a lot of people will freak out when I hand, you know, uh, a knife that has like a very strong liner lock to my niece or if my niece hand locks it over to me. But if my niece can't physically open that knife, that knife is not a danger to her. So it's okay to introduce your child to being around knives and letting them know that, okay, that's daddy's tool or uncle's tool or whatever, because they can't physically hurt themselves with particular models and styles. Um, but again, it comes down to their, their maturity. It comes down to their physical ability. And the moment that they can, you know, they can carry uh, a large textbook around, well, they're probably going to have a, a strong enough grip to start, like, very basic whittling. And kids love whittling. They, they love just taking a stick and peeling off the, the outer bark. Uh, even if they don't know what they're whittling, they just love the idea that they're, they're changing something, they're transforming something. And I think that's, that's very, very primal in our, our, our blood, is that, you know, we, we're drawn to knives. So why not let these, these children embrace them and be right there as they learn how to use a tool that could potentially save their life? Yeah. Yeah, good point. Well, let's, let's talk about how to really kind of master some of these skills. I mean, what would you say are, are some different training activities that someone can do with their child to teach them various survival skills? Well, we started off talking about awareness, saying that, you know, that's really important. And you can do a, a very simple game, which is a scavenger hunt. You know, you can say to a child, okay, and you hold up a particular leaf. And you obviously want to do this in a place where there's no poison ivy, shumac, or, uh, you know, poison oak or anything like that. But you give them something very easy to identify and say, okay, bring uncle or bring bring mommy or whoever you may be, bring mommy all the pine cones you can find, you know, and you let them identify, okay, these are pine cones. All right, find this find this tree. Where did I get these leaves from? And you might give them something, you know, very simple to, to identify, you know, something that has like an oak tree, you know. Okay, find out where, where these acorns came from. Um, find out where these walnuts came from. You know, you start giving them these scavenger hunts. Uh, another really, really easy game is a memory game. You know, children, you know, you'd be amazed at what they remember. They often remember things when you think that they're not listening. Next thing you know, they're they're cursing or whatever because, <laughs> you know, you, you accidentally said, let something slip. But uh, you might be walking with them on a trail and you pass a trailhead and the trailhead says, hey, this four miles to the lake, two miles to the summit. And, you know, a, a quarter mile down from that trailhead, you just say, hey, how many miles was it to the lake? And again, you reward them. You make it, you give them an incentive to being aware. So, you know, some of the early games that you play, again, are all developing that survival mindset. Um, but then there's always the old fashioned games, you know, whether you're, you're into this, you know, the tracking culture and you want them to play flashlight tag at night so they can learn to walk, walk quietly. Um, you know, you can play games with them where, you know, you're throwing rocks. I mean, some of the, some of the fondest memories I have of my father, um, you know, when I was a child was, we used to go to the beach, he'd stack up rocks, and we would throw rocks. Then we'd take sticks and throw them sidearm. 
And, you know, we're learning to projectile. We're learning to, if we need to, take out a bird. You know, my dad had it, you know, he still does. He still has a crazy arm. Um, so there's all sorts of old-fashioned games. Um, you know, you can see who can build the fastest fire if you have multiple children. You can see who can build the tallest fire or how long can you keep your fire going. I bet I could keep mine going longer. Again, you've got to make it fun. Um, and you can always tell them, all right, we're going to make this fun, but I'm going to show you why this is important. And then you bring in the seriousness after they've already had fun. And once they've had everything stacked in their favor, once they've they've had a great time doing what you want them to do, then you show them, okay, I really appreciate that you, you learn this. Uh, it means a lot to me. You, you give it value. And then you let the kid know, wow, you're worth something. You, you're part of this, this survival team that we have in our family. So there's all sorts of games you can play, Jeff, all yeah. sorts. Yeah. Well, and my, and my son's pretty active in scouts as well, which always has. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities there when they – when they go on, we go on campouts and they learn how to build fires and things like that. And I was even thinking like in terms of like, like your scavenger hunt, you know, having them go out and okay, find me, you know, and show them maybe like the, the, like the very most, the finest tinder that you have available. Like, okay, you've got 30 seconds to go see who can bring me back the most of this right here. And it might be like dry grass or something like that. And then go to like the next level. Okay. Now you need to find me, as many sticks as you can that are less than, you know, less than the size of this stick right here. And then just kind of slowly build up what they're getting so they know what to look for, you know, and, and, and that also, I guess, kind of reinforces the, the, um, the different layers of the fire that you're, you know, in order to build it the right way and stuff too. The, the other, it's, the, really, it's, it's really cool. Sorry to cut you off. Um, oh, it's really cool when you start seeing kids teach each other. So I remember this one course, I had a number of, of children, just, this was just this past summer, and one of them took off his hat and he started putting, uh, you know, all the fine tinder in his hat. Another kid saw it and it, it, it took off. The next thing you know, kids are taking off their, um, you know, their outer shirt, they're leaving their undershirt on it and they're filling their outer shirts up with as many dry leaves as they can. And, you know, kids learn the best. I mean, obviously we want to take credit and say, hey, you know, as adults, we're teaching them everything they need to know, but they really learn from their peers, like you can imagine. So yeah. like you said, you know, taking the scouts out, give them that opportunity to, to work with each other and, you know, watch their, their survival skills grow. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that, um, that I, I like a lot also is, especially now in today's days of zombies and things like that, my, my yeah. kid's a, my kid's a zombie nut. But, um, like, I don't know if you know Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, but they have like a, they have a board game. Like, a, it's like a pandemic board game, mm-hmm. except nobody dies in this pandemic, which is kind of, you know, I was kind of geared for like, yeah, it was kid friendly. It was meant for families to be able to sit down and just kind of have fun with it. But it also kind of teaches these, you know, these are more like collapse survival type skills. But, you know, in today's fantasy culture and things like that, I think a lot of kids would find that very interesting. I know that what really hooked my son into survival skills was zombies. That was where he first got, got the bug. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Whatever it takes for him to get interested in it, I think is um, has been positive. So good stuff. Well, Kevin, I really want to thank you for for really taking us down this um, like survival parenting thing. I mean, there's a, we have a lot of people who are both parents and grandparents that are that are listeners and readers of ours, and so I think this is this is some really great great tips that they can they can really put to use right away. So thanks so much, man. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. And you know, should any of the the readers, I'm sorry, should any of the listeners uh, have any questions? Obviously, I my passion is education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more than happy to to talk with any of them or to email any uh, responses to questions that they have. You know, I'm here for you guys. So if anything you know comes up, feel free to email me, contact me, do whatever it takes. 
uh, you know, because ultimately, you know, the kids are the future and we got to protect them. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Okay, everybody, um, the best way to do that is to go and check out Kevin's website. I mean, he's got some outdoor adventure training events over there. He's got more of his articles. I mean, there's some really great information over there. So so definitely go check it out. It's over at www.kevinestella.com. And, again, that's E-S-T-E-L-A. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying trade hard, stay safe, prepare now. modern combat and survival. survival we hope you've enjoyed the show you can help us out by rating our podcast on itunes and leaving a comment you can check us out on facebook at facebook.com backslash modern combat and survival and don't forget to claim your free subscription to modern combat and survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com lock and load and we'll see you next time This has been Modern Combat and Survival.